Bits and Chill. It's the podcast where we sample all the tasty bits of art, visual science, donuts, and chill. I'm Val Tukatli. I'm Nungbo. And today we are talking about the drunk history of animation. As those of you who have already joined us on the stream know, we are trying a little experiment today. Uh, we wanted to discuss the kind of history of Western animation, and Nung suggested we do, like, the series Drunk History, which is very self-explanatory, uh, <laughs> and I was completely on board. And then we also had a very small window to record this episode, so we figured we could do it live, because we also wanted to do a live episode at some point on the stream. So we're kind of smushing them together, and we'll see how it goes. So for future listeners, I have my Twitch stream up and running. Uh, there's some friends hanging out with us in the chat. I am sipping on Holy Donut by Lone Pine Brewing Company. It is an imperial stout with donuts and toasted coconut. And my lovely, lovely Twitch viewers can use their channel points over the course of this to hydrate me with water, a shot of rum, or a shot of spicy Smirnoff. So uh, <laughs> we're going to give this a go, and we appreciate everybody joining us for this ride. We are inspired by the edutainment of drunk history, so we're going to walk through the lowercase d, lowercase h drunk history of Western animation, just for copyright purposes. When I say Western animation, I am not talking about cowboys. I mean, in the sense that we're going to mostly look at animation in the United States and in Europe. For one, because it's what I know most about, and I'd rather have an expert on on a later episode to talk about the cultural significance of animation in other parts of the world. And also because if I'm going to get tipsy and possibly drunk and take a dunk on some really important people, I would rather they be my own people. So my original plan was to take a shot every time I use the word animation, but I don't want to die, so I'm going to take a, a sip of the donut beer instead. However, you are welcome to play along at home and, and have a drink whenever I say the word animation. But if you do that, please be responsible. <laughs> please be responsible. Always be responsible. There's one. Uh, Death by Rack says, woohoo, drunk. Yes. Um, what a Gas says, what's the ABV? And that's a good question. It is 10.5%. Uh, so actually, pretty strong for a beer. Okay. Bottoms up. Let's start. We are going to start way, way back. And um, people, people in the chat today, Every every time I say animation, which I guess <laughs> I'm gonna take a sip because taking a shot every time I would be dead. And I would like to not die on Twitch. I'm sure this will be a pleasure to edit later. Well, I mean that's all on you, thankfully. I don't have to edit any of this. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to start way, 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 way back, because animation 
is a way of bringing drawings into a time-based sequential medium. So we could say that modern-day animation is the natural successor to, say, comic strips, or even things like the linear pictorial images on ancient Greek vases or Egyptian murals and cave paintings. So people have been telling sequential stories with images. I mean, frankly, before we were telling them with words, right? So animation is simply the latest step in the evolution of an artistic medium. So if we want to talk about where animation started, we're looking at ancient times and honestly cultures all over the world because that's the most natural thing in the world, right? It's the most natural thing to want to communicate stories. Again, I I, I especially think of the Greek vases or vases that around the outside have um, depictions of, yeah, sequential stories. So early comics, which comics became animation in a way. I also want to, oh, first I have to take like 70 drinks. Okay, this is going to be interesting. All right. So I'm going to really quickly rehash some of the original optical toys like stereoscopes and zoetropes. We talked about these things in our very first episode, 3D and the Repair Shop. That was the first episode? That seems like such a long time ago. I know, right? Well, it's the first episode like that we released. Um, but yeah, we talked about stereoscopes, which are those kind of viewfinder toys that would have two slightly different versions of the same image in each eye. I like having the camera on because all the hand gestures I make aren't getting lost um, like they usually do. But um, yeah, so you would look through and there's a slightly different version of the picture going into each eye. So your brain puts them together and makes a kind of three-dimensional version of that image. Um, and so stereoscope viewfinders were, they kind of came about in different forms between like the 1830s, 1860s. And the reason I'm bringing that up again is because of the idea of tricking our eyes, tricking our brains, using still images to create something out of nothing. Because, again, that's, that's all animation is. It's using pictures to trick our brains. Kind of branching off from that is the phenakistoscope, also known as the phantoscope, so that's what I'm going to go with. Those were invented in the 1830s by Joseph Plateau, and the, wor the word, the phenakistoscope, roughly translates, roughly means cheating the eyes. So again, it's from this idea of, okay, how can we, how can we make, how can we take images in front of our eyes and make a new image in our brain? So what the phantoscope actually is, or was, it's a circular disc that would spin, and you look at, you know, the top space, the top of the circle, and as so as it spins, you're seeing the progression of the story, the image. Um, I had written here in my notes that it's kind of like a pinwheel. 
So you're, you would almost like hold up like a pinwheel or an old timey fan and spin it. And you would see a fun little, really quick, really short animation. <laughs> I, I noted the Wikipedia article on my notes because there's some really cool examples of real Fantascope discs that somebody had scanned in and animated as um, GIFs. And they're really cool. Like there's one of like rats like coming out from the center of the disc and climbing over the edge of the disc. They're neat. And they're early predecessors to modern animation. So again, those fun little eye cheaters were invented by Joseph Plateau. And after photography was invented in 1839, 1840s, after photography came around, Joseph Plateau worked with the inventor of the stereoscope, Charles Wheatstone, to develop the earliest concepts of stop-motion animation. So yeah, the, so the creator of the Fantascope and the creator of the stereoscope brain, basically brainstormed and came up with the idea of stop-motion animation before that was a thing. However, they didn't actually bring that to fruition at all. So it was just something that they kind of thought would be a cool idea, but they never did anything with that idea. Just goes to show in 1830, they were already thinking about it. <laughs> Gas says they got too drunk at the meetings. Yeah, probably. Death by Rack says, how many beers do you think she's going to go through? <laughs> yeah. Um, I have 17,000 channel points. Like, how screwed up do you want to be? <laughs> <laughs> well, the good news is that my, my channel mod is also in the same house as me. <laughs> so... If I black out and just fall face forward on my tablet, um, at least one viewer <laughs> will be able to come help me out. Well, okay, don't forget, y'all, you can redeem hydrate and have me drink some water. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess that's the responsible thing to do. <laughs> Gas and Angela say I'm going to drink three beers. I don't even know if we have three holy donuts left, but Nung redeemed hydrate, so thank you, Nung. All right, so we talked about uh, the 1830s, 1840s, a couple of big inventions in the 1860s, flipbooks. Flipbooks were officially patented, not necessarily the first thing they were actually used or created, but in terms of records, flipbooks were patented in 1868 by John Barnes Lynette. And if I recall correctly, he is a... Um, he is a U.S. inventor, a U.S. citizen. Um, also in the 1860s, which Victorian era, big fan over here. That's when the zoetrope was invented. Again, the zoetrope we talked about in the, a little bit in our 3D episode. It's kind of taking that idea of the phantoscope, but it's a cylinder. And you look through a little slit on the cylinder and spin it so you can only see one frame. You know, with, with the spinning disc, you kind of just tell your eye, okay, focus on the top of the disc. With this, it uses kind of a stroboscope effect, so you can only see one image at a time. And you spin it and you see the animation. It's a zoetrope. Now, the inventor, or at least the patent holder of the zoetrope, Milton Bradley. I actually did not know he was a Victorian-era inventor slash fun maker. So there you go. I learned another thing today. 
<laughs> that the zoetrope was invented by Milton Bradley, the the board game guy. Yeah, it's like my mind is blown. I'm like, what? Yeah, gas. I'm just like, I, what? <laughs> yes, Milton is old AF. Milton is old AF and mind blown. Yes, true. So, okay, so we're talking about the Victorian era. Um, another thing that came around in that in that time period was the idea of chronophotography. Chronophotography is basically just sequential photography. It's an early predecessor to film, like movies. And of course, we'll get more into that. So once again, photography was still a generally a kind of new concept. It came about, you know, in the in the 19th or 19, 1840s, it really came into itself. So chronophotography, sequential photography. This term was coined by scientist, I'm going to butcher their name, Etienne Gillet Marais. Etienne Gillet Marais. <laughs> and this poor, poor man, who I'm just going to call Marais, was just super, super interested in studying motion. So we probably would have been BFFs back in the day. In fact, he, I mean, mostly just for giggles, he created his own sculptural zoetrope. So like I was saying, they're a cylinder with images on the inside. Um, I actually made a zoetrope in college using a Lazy Susan. But anyway, so he made a sculptural, a giant big sculptural zoetrope based on his own chronophotography of a seagull in flight. So he sculpted a seagull to represent each frame of his chronophotography and put them in a spinning zoetrope. Very cool. Ooh, okay. And now we get to dear, dear friend Edward Muybridge. He is sometimes, he is often considered the father of film and animation. In the 1870s, Muybridge developed a complex way of capturing the chronophotography of a horse in motion. It was this really cool, really elaborate setup that a racehorse ran by and triggered these really close set together cameras. Honestly, probably a lot of people have seen, at least peripher peripherally, <laughs> peripheral. A lot of us have probably seen at some point <laughs> the sequence of the horse running and it blew people's minds because it was kind of the, I mean, this was when we were just beginning to be able to really truly study motion and how, how organic things move. And people learned for the first time that while a horse gallops, there is a moment where all four of its legs are completely off the ground. Um, people had kind of argued that for ages, because that's what people argued about in the Victorian era. Um, Wadagasa is inventor of the first animated nudes. Actually, um, you're not that far off, because I forget if it was Moybridge himself, but in the same time period, yes, they were studying motion of, of bodies, and so there are chronophotography strips or series of nude bodies in motion doing things like sitting down or picking things up. So technically, like, kind of accurate. <laughs> that reminds me, I think I had a book of that when I was doing um, intro to illustration in college. I don't think I have that anymore. 
Hang on. I want to see if I have a book in my studio. It might be in my living room. Yes, I do have it in here. Uh, Misplaced Famous says, I could use some donuts right now, but I don't think anything can fill the void inside me right now. Gas says, maybe more donuts. Yeah, fill it with us? That, that doesn't sound exactly right. I could go for some donuts right now, too, though. I could always go for some donuts. So I have one of my animation books out here. It's called The Animator's Survival Kit by Richard Williams, who, basically the guy who made Who Frames Roger Rabbit good. He's a just um, legendary, amazing artist and literally like wrote the book on animation. This... I can guarantee you anyone who like anyone who at least like went to school for animation or the art of animation has like read this book. I have to take so many sips now. I had to Google it. Yeah, I had a copy of The Human Figure Motion for class. Where is it now? Who knows? Because that was, oh gosh, a decade ago. There's also um, The Illusion of Life, um, which is a Disney book. Hey, look, dude, even in this booklet, he has a diagram of, and I'm going to try and put it on the stream, has a diagram of those Greek bases. So look, my, my art history classes were not in not. And, oh, and here's the phantoscope. I guess this part will have to be heavily edited in podcast form, but he has like an intro to animation chapter and he has illustrated many of the things that we have talked about. Okay, okay. So I got way off course there. We were talking about Moybridge. Moybridge did some cool stuff with photos, y'all. The next, the next kind of pre-animation invention I want to talk about is the Praxinoscope. Um, Charles Emile Reynaud invented the Praxinoscope on, in 1877. And he later developed a theatrical animation system called his Theater Optique. Between the years 1892 and 1900, I'm quoting here, sorry, um, he produced a number of 10 to 15 minute long animations called Pantomime Luminuse. Lu <laughs> Luminuse. <laughs> like, Illuminated pantomime or illuminated puppet show or like light puppet show. He created a way to make cartoons and project those cartoons for people to see. Technically, if you wanted to argue with someone about it, that means that technically modern animation predates modern film, like modern movies. So just kind of a fun fact that you could pull out of your pocket. All right. So just to recap real quick. It was around 1877 when Reynaud invented the Praxinoscope. And this is when kind of all of the inventors who were working in this realm started borrowing ideas from each other and building off of each other. So Mare, who was the guy who invented chronophotography, teamed up with Moybridge, who was the guy who invented the, um, the guy who did the horse chronophotography. Chrono photography. 
Murray and Moybridge teamed up and worked off of what Reynaud has been doing and fed into each other's research. And in 1879, Moybridge developed the Zoo Praxinoscope, which for our purposes in today's conversation is kind of like an early film projector using the same concept of the Fantascope discs. So instead of like a reel of film, they were using a glass disc to project their images. Ah, all right, here we're getting into more words that I can't pronounce. The electrotachyoscope, electrotachyoscope was a very early motion, pro- motion picture projection system that was developed by Ottomar Anschutz, a chronophotographer, between 1886 and 1894. His goal with this was to create a viewing experience for entertainment for audiences of multiple people. He also created the coin-operated peephole viewer called the Schnelzer, which is sometimes considered the inspiration for Thomas Edison's kinetoscope. Um, Edison gets a lot of credit for for developing modern film techniques, but it's important to say that there's lots of people involved in that. So Edison was also working with Moybridge at the same time, but he was more focused on those peephole viewers, like the Schnellsner. He didn't think that people would want to get into groups and view motion pictures in audiences. He thought people would want it to be a private one-person experience. So that's kind of what he was focusing on at that time. Oh, before we continue, Gas has a question. Liquor of choice? I don't know. Um, I'm not a big wine or beer drinker. So usually, like, my drink of choice at a new bar is a Manhattan. Mm, that's pretty good. Okay. Back to Edison. All right. All right. Back to Edison. <laughs> okay. Yes, we are re-recording a podcast. That's a thing. Okay. Gosh, we were talking about Edison and how people, Edison's a big name and people associate him with all the big inventions of the, around the turn of the century, but all these people were working together and kind of stealing from each other, (laughs) but borrowing from each other. And again, he was, in terms of film and animation, he was kind of small-minded. He didn't think, he didn't think the idea of like movie theaters would ever sell, like and and I, not that I blame him, but he was like, why would people want to, like, gather to watch something? That's an individual experience. Okay. All right. <clears throat> so around, the, again, around the same time that Edison was doing his thing, uh, Louis Le Prince was developing his own film projector concept. Now, I'm just putting him in here because there's kind of an interesting, like, true crimey story to go along with Le Prince. He got he got on a train in like um I think 1890 and was never heard from again. He just disappeared. And in 1897 he was officially declared dead. So Le Prince again, he was developing a film projector, but he never really as I put it in my notes, he never got to claim his crown as the daddy of modern film. I smell a conspiracy. 
Yeah, I just I thought that was a really intriguing thing. And it was just like one line that I read where it's like, he got on a train and never came back and was declared dead a few years later. And I was like, wait, I feel like there should be like a three podcast series about this guy. But so I just wanted to put that in there, too, that he was coming up with stuff, but never really got a chance to debut his his work. So at this point, he's like the second or third person who's kind of on the verge of creating animation as we know it, but hasn't quite hasn't quite hit that mark. <laughs> Gas says he's sleeping with the fishes, maybe. I don't know, maybe Edison I don't know, there's a lot of a lot of talk about Edison's character. So Alright, so with all this stuff again kind of happening at the same time, Wikipedia, our very, very <laughs> A reliable resource gives 1895 as the year of the first commercial film production, like the first time people paid to get in to communally watch a film. Oh, and I should, yes, I should mark off these. Thank you for reminding me, Gas. I should mark off these drink requests that people have put in. Uh, but to get back to what I was saying, um, so the first like the first like theatrical experience was a boxing match that had been recorded at Madison Square Garden and was available to the public to the paying public in New York City. So I just I I had to stop and think while I was reading about this like you know the fact that people do like um pay-per-view um sports events such as boxing or you go to Buffalo Wild Wings, what do they call it? B-dubs? And just thinking, like, at that time, you either saw it in person, or somebody, like, a month later was like, hey, we'll project part of the match in a really crappy projector in New York City, and you can pay to watch it. So it's it's just really interesting to think that, to, to think of the change that's happened in film and animation in a in hundred year span. And, like, a hundred years, I mean, come on, it's not like people can live to be over a hundred years. So it's potentially in one person's lifetime, things have changed so dramatically. It's very cool. Yeah. But I think in the span of a hundred years, photography was invented. And then we also put a man on the moon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So again, this was the year 1895. So we're not even to 1900 yet. Um, and all of this has prog- progressed from spinning a disc on a stick in what? 1830. But yeah, basically from that point, from the from the projection of of the Madison Square Garden boxing match, like film industry was born at that point, kind of the threshold had been crossed and movies, theater, film as we know it, boom, out the gate. Something that I actually we, we actually comment on the episode before this, which hasn't come out when we're recording this episode. But we talk about um, frame rates and something we mentioned is that early films, when you would go to a movie, were hand cranked. So the projection wasn't just automatic as they are today, but somebody had to crank the machine to project the images. And so frame rates were variable. So, you know, if your projectionist fell asleep in the middle of a movie, that was a problem. Um, but also because they hadn't yet figured out how to link sound with film, 
Um, they were scored by live musicians. Usually a pianist would play music as the film was being projected. So again, like in some ways, so much more complicated than it is today, but very, very cool. And I deeply respect the people who, who put their hearts into this, who were recording photographs or drawings on discs or, or reels of film, depending, um, and hand cranking them through this big clunky machine so that 30 people could watch it, whatever. I don't know. I have a lot of respect for the, the artists who came before me. Um, they had to work a lot harder than I do just getting drunk on the internet like come on so at this point in the podcast i guess i'm gonna lay down one of my recommendations that i try to do every week um i really really if you haven't watched it before um i recommend finding the 1902 film le voyage dans la lune by george melier um it's a personal favorite of mine um because i'm a big hipster nerd who went to art school and took you know like the history of film okay 1902 it's one of the like first wides like meant for widespread consumption sci-fi fantasy films right it's about these people who take a steampunk style spaceship to the moon and yes death by rex says i'm a nerd and they are correct <laughs> Oh wait, that that's the that's the one with the iconic moon imagery, right? Yes. The silent film. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. Absolutely. Le Voyage dans la Lune or A Trip to the Moon by George Melier, 1902. It's it's a very fun, weird little movie. Um, Smashing Pumpkins did a music video that spoofed it called Tonight Tonight, which is also a very good song, by the way. But yeah, it, it was a sci-fi movie in 1902, and they used a trick called, um, I think it's called stop film, where like, okay, to make someone disappear, they take a shot where the person's there, and the person moves off screen, and then they take another shot. And like, to us, that would look horrible and stupid and poorly done. But at the time, people were like, holy shit, that actor just disappeared. Ignited Ink says, the moon in that film always used to freak me out as a kid. Now I think it's super cool, though. I mean, I kind of agree. It kind of had that uncanny valley type of phase where it's just, that's nightmare fuel. That is nightmare fuel. Yeah. Um. If any listeners haven't seen it, they basically like superimposed somebody who I, I think... I forget what it was, but he had stuff spread all over his face and they superimposed it to make it look like his his face was the moon and the rocket ship like landed in his eye. <laughs> it was very weird, but just the fact that these that that our friends in the chat are like, oh, yeah, you know, gas says that moon was creepy as shit. Ink says it freaked me out as a kid. Again, 1902, but we've all seen it like we've all at, at least at the very least seen it referenced. So it's pretty cool. I, I recommend it. There's some weird shit in it. I know at least someone at work that has a shirt with that moon on it. That's awesome. That's awesome. I kind of want to like write a note to myself to like buy a, a Voyage dans la Lune shirt, but a sober Val will be like, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> okay, so this is the point where I was like, fuck it. 
<laughs> um, I just linked myself in my notes a like timeline of the history of of animation, and it was like, at this point, you will be a little tipsy. Accurate. Just like go through point by point and just talk about stuff. And again, I I still have my Roger Williams book if I need visual references. <laughs> so we're gonna get real loosey goosey from here. <laughs> okay, where where were we even? Ten. So ten years ago, we were talking about <laughs> animation and how the modern film industry kind of exploded around the turn of the century. Okay, so the theater optique we already mentioned. That was the cartoons developed by Charles Emilier, Charles Emile Reynaud. And that was around the turn of the century, around, you know, 1900. And Georges Méliès, also around the turn of the century. Georges Méliès, by the way, has a great mustache. Um, he was also a French uh, inventor, animator, if you could call him an animator at that point. Um, so the French were doing a lot of this, honestly, development of film technology. Oh, okay. Here's an important one. Uh, Windsor McKay. I'm guessing probably a lot of people have heard that name, Windsor McKay. But if not, Windsor McKay in, let's see, 1911 created a film, Little Nemo. I think the extended title was like Little Little Nemo in Dreamland. Um, but he was a basically a comic strip artist at that point. But he was like, oh, shit. we can make comics move. Cool. I'm gonna do that. And yeah, he kind of, again, he wasn't the first to make an animated film, but he's always kind of given some, given some clout for being super dedicated to the craft again i'm right now i'm looking at a wikipedia timeline to kind of base my to, to kind of reference so wikipedia says uh, mckay gave more detail to his hand-drawn animations than any animation previously seen in cinemas his 1914 film gertie the dinosaur featured an early example of character development and drawn animation so what that is, is, yeah, he created a short film called Gertie the Dinosaur, which is literally this, you know, uh, bronchiosaurus, you know, a little, little foot looking motherfucker. Um, but yeah, it was so lovingly rendered by hand. You know, it was, it was a sequential narrative. It was character driven. Technologically speaking, it wasn't necessarily a breakthrough, but yeah, in terms of content, Windsor McKay is given a lot of love for Gertie the Dinosaur. Um, I'm going to see real quick if I can give you the length of it. 12 minutes. 12 minutes. So, yeah, nothing compared to modern films, but made such an impact on, on audiences and creators thinking like, oh, what can we do with this cool new medium that we have? Oh, I was wrong earlier. Little Nemo in Slumberland. I said Dreamland. It's Slumberland. But yes, he also made the silent animated films. How a Mosquito Operates, that was 1912, and The Sinking of the Lysituania in 1918. So that was like a, like an early documentary, but also with animated elements. The National Film Registry selected it for, for preservation in 2017. Fun little fact. Okay, we're going to jump on to Fleischer Studios. 
And I'm going to, oh, I'm going to quote Wikipedia so much here. Don't judge me. Don't at me. The wiki says, in 1915, Max Fleischer, 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 Max Fleischer applied for a patent for a technique which became known as rotoscoping, the process of using live action film recordings as reference to more easily create realistic animated movements. Now, you will see this a lot in, like, I want to say, like, 80s animation, like, um, Frank Frazetta. But yeah, rotoscope is basically when you trace over live action video. So you're you're kind of tracing the motion. But if you have a video of me, for example, running across the screen, you can trace over top of it and make it your alien queen running across the screen but your motion is going to feel a lot different right than just somebody who's kind of guessing or or stylizing so that's what rotoscoping is and rotoscoping i love doing it um that's actually something oh i just i love rotoscoping but it takes for forever i'm gonna have to censor this episode a lot (laughs) i i remember there's always one um rotoscope animation that pops up especially around halloween i forget what the name is called but it's a copy of cab calloway dancing and his music i don't know if that rings a bell i can't not off the top of my head i can't name it off the top of my head but yeah but you know it right yes and and that's a good that's a good point because yeah, dancing is something that gets rotoscoped a lot because it's such kind of delicate um motion, right? And our eyes, they're really good at perceiving things that are just slightly off. I had to look it up because it was bothering me. Um it was, I believe, a Betty Boop cartoon and was called Saint james infirmary blues here you go and that's um actually do you have a do you have a date on that particular um on that particular animation yeah yeah uh internet says 1932 which makes sense because it was still in black and white but it was also a talkie film right and let's see yeah color arrived in film in the in the 1930s and actually, color first arrived for animation rather than live action film. So again, little little fun fact in your pocket there. Uh, but um, the technique of adding color to a film, yeah, was was first used for cartoons as opposed to for live action. Yeah, because live action, I remember, was really expensive at that time. Even still, even still today, comparatively, and um. Ignited Inks says a movie called A Scanner Darkly. That's all road scoped. Yes. And that like that has definitely gotten some kind of mixed reviews critically um, as as far as the execution of rotoscoping. But yeah, that's a great example of, of a, I think, fully rotoscoped film where they kind of created this stylized imagery over top of live action film. So, yeah, that's that's. I'll I'll add that to my recommendations, A Scanner Darkly. Keanu Reeves? Was Keanu Reeves in that one, I want to say? But yes, um, Inks, that's a great, that is a great 
point. Although we are getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but yes, um, rotoscope came about in those early 1900s. Coco the Clown, 1920s. If you've ever seen those black and white Coco the Clown cartoons, that was in the 1920s. Coco, as well as Betty Boop, um, are Fleischer's studio. Fleischer, we're going to use, we're going to use Fleischer as the pronunciation. <laughs> it may be wrong, that's what we're going to use. Fleischer is often kind of associated with the signature rubber hose style. So if you think about those old-timey, bouncy, black-and-white animations where everything's kind of, like, wiggly and there's no limbs, just everything's kind of bouncy. Again, this is a great time for our Twitch users who can just see me being an absolute ass on the camera. Like Olive from Popeye. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's called rubber hose because that's kind of how the, like, what the motion is reminiscent of. And this is of kind of this early era of black and white animation. Um, everything's super bouncy, super fluid. And um, Fleischer is associated with that a lot of the time. Wikipedia tells me that he also did early Superman cartoons, which Superman came about in the 1930s. So, again, it's, it's a bit messy. It's not super linear, but kind of following the following the timeline of modern animation here. Um, Felix the Cat is another great example of rubber hose animation. Let's see. Felix premiered in 1919. Felix the Cat rules. If you didn't see Felix cartoons growing up, please watch Felix and his magic bag. Um, it was an early, again, 1910s, 1920s cartoon, but then they, they rebooted it. I want to say in the 90s. Let's see. Felix had sound in the 1950s. Yeah, I don't know. Felix came about in that era and the rubber hose era and is still around today. Let's see. Oh, and just to name drop, Otto James Mesmer. Oh, Mesmer, really? <laughs> Was credited as creating Felix the Cat. I must imagine he's not, like, related to the Mesmer, right? Okay, we've got a sidebar here. Uh, Gas says, Waking Life made Scanner Dark... Guy who made Waking Life made Scanner Darkly. Richard Linkletter. Waking Life broke my brain. Alex Jones has a short scene in it. Not a selling point, though. Felix the Cat and Betty Boop are really psychedelic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, super... Yeah, I would imagine... Um, actually, not something I can speak to experience, but I would imagine if you're like having fun with your friend Mary Jane, that some rubber hose animation would be pretty cool. Um, we were, we had mentioned okay, we were talking about Felix the Cat, and this is saying um, Felix the Cat was an early um, property of Paramount Studios, which we've all seen Paramount Studios, the stars that circle around the mountain. And Felix was the very first cartoon to be merchandised. First, like, animated character that you could buy shit. So, Felix, champion of capitalism. Can you buy Felix merch anymore? Like, modern day, not vintage. Probably. Although, vintage would also be cool. I just figured, like, that's way out of budget for me. I can actually say from experience. So, um, as a frequent visitor of thrift shops, 
I had this this set of like vintage Felix the cat lights. That's a thing that existed. Yeah, Felix, <laughs> first cartoon character to have merch, merch, and it exists and it still exists and it was rebooted and yes, but yeah, definitely check out some Felix the cat cartoons even if they're the reboot i mean at this point they're still kind of vintage right grazer beam just dropped us a do an emoji hello grazer beam thank you for the emoji hi grazer beam i don't know if grazer beam is my brother or his beautiful wife but there was a podcast happening at some point here so hey nung guess what we're getting into the 1920s we're not in 1920s yet we're here now we're here I feel like we've been time traveling too much, so I don't know where we are anymore. We're like slowly creeping up. But this is where Walt Disney comes into the picture. And his buddy, Oob? I never learned how to pronounce this man's name. His name is Yubi. Oob, Oob. Oob, I works. And um, these two men and... Wikipedia says also Fred Harmon. You know what, Fred Harmon? Go away. The important ones are Walt and Oob. So we talked about this a little bit in our like Disney CalArts episode. Uh, Walt Disney was super, super into the idea of animation and focusing on animation as a medium. And his buddy came up with these characters, but Disney was kind of the guy Disney was like the nung <laughs> in this situation where like Disney was like, do it, do it, do it, do it, push it, do it, make it a cartoon, do it, do the thing. Good Lord. I don't even know where I should go next from that point. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, 1920s, that's kind of the general reference point that we're working from here where Disney and his buddies are like, let's do it. Let's make animated characters. Let's make them a thing. Let's really full force go into this. And that's where we're going to pick up next time. Hey everyone, we decided to split this into a two-parter because the further we went, the more off the rails it got. So look forward to part two next week. Still a live episode, but it's a little bit more reined in and hopefully the audio is a little bit better. All right, see you next week. And that does it for this episode. Thank you for joining us. Our theme music was composed by Michael Freitag. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Donuts and Chill. You can also support us on Patreon for extra goodies you can't get anywhere else. Let us know what you thought of this episode and what topics you want us to cover on future episodes by emailing us at questions at donutsandchill.com. That's donuts, the letter N, chill.com. Until next time. Thank you to everyone who came to the live stream, who participated in the chat with us. Nung, I love you very, 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 very much. As you know, I love you. Stream, stream friends, I love you. Y'all, animation is so good.